You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster, longtime Marlins writer, and prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about a little bit of everything. We're going to recap that miserable series uh, between the Marlins and the Cardinals where I floated the potential of a sweep and... I guess I was partially right. No, I'm not even going to give myself any credit there. I was totally wrong. I thought the Marlins would have a good series here, a good bounce back, a lot of pitching uh, matchups in their favor, and it just did not work out that way. The Marlins get swept by the Cardinals. I look like a buffoon, and the Marlins don't look much better on the field. And that was very frustrating to watch. But there were some positives. There were. And I'm not going to, uh, you know, blow smoke. There was definitely more negatives by a, a good margin. But how about Pablo Lopez? I mean, Sandy Alcantara looked great in his start. Pablo Lopez continues to just look phenomenal. He goes six and two thirds, three hits, two earned runs. And it really just came on a two-run shot from Yadi Molina that shouldn't have even happened because it was a drop third strike. And really, you could have made the case that Pablo Lopez went seven shutout. He really was that close to going seven shutout. And it was kind of a similar series of unfortunate events for Sandy Alcantara. That doesn't excuse the losses. You can't really blame the losses on that. That's more so just looking at the fact that both Lopez and Alcantara could have very easily gone shutout, six, seven shutout innings in both of their starts if it weren't for a few little things bouncing the wrong way. Regardless, both look spectacular so far this season. And I knew Sandy was going to come out of the gate really hot. I knew that Pablo, I mean, I think we all were expecting both of those guys to be solid. But I think Pablo, just looking exactly like he looked last year, if not better, is just so encouraging and great to see. And this pitching staff is really good. It's really good. But you're not going to win any ball games when you can't score. Last podcast, I talked about how it could be a good opportunity for the Marlins to jump on Jack Flaherty, who hasn't looked like Jack Flaherty. And he turned in a pretty solid start. He goes six shutout innings. But frankly, I didn't think Flaherty looked that great. He obviously looked a lot better than we had seen in the past. He looked a lot uh, more healthy and consistent. But still, he didn't look six shutout innings good in that outing. And he pitched six shutout innings. So uh, definitely frustrating for this Marlins team to lose 7-0 in a ball game where Pablo Lopez kept you in it through the first six innings going the first six innings without giving up a run. And you just couldn't even give him a single run uh, to give him some help. And you go three for 29 at the plate with nine Ks. Yeah, that's just not going to fly. Leave 13 on base. And it was just a rough one. And my man, Chad Wallach, not looking much better at the plate than uh, Jorge Alfaro going 0 for 3 with three Ks and had his own struggles behind the dish. So it's just, it's not good. It's not good right now. There's no way around that. And unfortunately, Alfaro seems like he's dealing with a little bit of hamstring tightness. So as I record this about 40 minutes before first pitch, as the Marlins are about to take on the Mets, and I'll get into that in a moment, Wallach will be making another start, which I honestly prefer. I still want to see Wallach in the starting spot for the next few ball games, regardless of Alfaro's health, because I just think that Wallach does such a better job behind the dish. 
And while Alfaro has a much, 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 much higher offensive ceiling, he is so far off that ceiling that it's not like you can say Alfaro is this massive, uh, right now, this just massive improvement over Wallach offensively. From from what I've seen, I just have not been encouraged that he's any better behind the dish or at the plate. But I already spent a whole podcast talking about him, so we're not going to talk about that today. But what we're going to talk about is the fact that this offense has looked really meager. There was a good news is that Dickerson had probably his best ball game so far this season. Yesterday, picking up two of the Marlins' three hits, the other hit by Jesus Aguilar, and that's it. That's it. Just three hits against the Cardinals here in that third game of the series. Now, as they head into New York, there's going to be some challenges, right? They're going to face Jacob deGrom for the millionth time, and there's actually no pitcher in baseball that has faced the Marlins more since 2018 than deGrom, who is now going to face them 14 times since just 2018, which is insane, especially considering that 2020 was such a short season, but deGrom had a full season's worth of work against the Marlins with the way the whole schedule shaked out. It was just miserable, which made it that much more amazing that the Marlins were able to make the playoffs. Fortunately, the Marlins don't face DeGrom until two days from now, as there's an off day tomorrow, and today's game is going to be a battle between Taiwan Walker and Nick Neidert. I'm going to get into that in one second. I just wanted to wrap up on Pablo Lopez because there were a lot of really good things that we saw from him, and this guy's looking like a certified number two uh, that really can be a reliable, reliable guy for the Marlins so long that he is healthy. And the impressive thing from Lopez so far this year is that the fastball is playing up even more. Not not that he's gained any velocity. It's actually exactly the same at 93.9 miles per hour. But I think it's playing up a little bit more right now because the fact that the changeup has gotten even better. The changeup looks just downright nasty. And it's not that I think that it's like moving any more than it was before. It's already had plenty of movement and been a very, very good pitch. It seems like he's tunneling it better and he's also able to locate it better. He's been leaning on the fastball a little bit more. It's a small sample size, but if we're just going start by start, the last two starts, he has definitely leaned on the fastball a little bit more than he has in the past, which is good, honestly, because he doesn't throw the fastball as much as, you know, most pitchers in the game, especially guys that can run it up to 95 and at times grab a six. Now he's throwing that heater so far about six or 7% more frequently. And that's because he has a lot more confidence in the fact that he can spot it up and that he can blow it by guys, which is great to see. He has not given up a hit on the heater so far this year, which is amazing. And he also has only given up one hit on the changeup so far this year. What's interesting is actually the only pitch he's been getting burned on is that cutter. And you, you have to wonder if maybe, and I like, I like mixing in a pitch here and there, I just don't know if the cutter is the one to do that because like I've always said, and this is something I talk about more on the prospects podcast, but it's good for a pitcher to have three distinct speeds. That's going to make things a lot more difficult for the hitter. And while the cutter is going to be a good overlay pitch with the sinker that he also likes to throw here and there, especially against righties, I just don't know if the cutter is as reliable as he thinks it is because he predominantly throws it against left-handed batters. He's thrown it 19 times this year, 16 of the 19 
2018 have been against left-handed batters. And if you miss your spot, that stays over the middle of the plate. That's a gift. And what's interesting is actually one of the three times he's thrown it to a righty, it left the yard. Yachty hit it a mile. And that's the thing with the cutter is that's a pitch he's experimented with. He only threw it 8% of the time last year. He's right around the same at 11% of the time right now. I just wonder because he's only given up so far this season five hits. And three of those hits, three of the five hits have come on that cutter, which he only throws 10% of the time or 11% of the time. It's a small sample size, but I think it's worth noting because the cutter wasn't really great for him last year. It was decent enough to say, okay, he can throw it here and there. But what's interesting is also the cutter is a lot more firm this year, more than a full mile per hour faster than it was last year. So it's closer to the sinker speed. And I'd almost rather see him mix in the curveball a bit more to just throw in a third speed uh, in the equation because the fastball's right at 94 miles per hour on average. The changeup's right at 87. There's two distinct speeds. And then the sinker is right the same speed as the four seamer, which is fine. You can still use that pitch and it's good against righties to get ground balls and, you know, just to mix things up. And again, the overlay, when you have the four seamer up and you don't necessarily want to go to the changeup, you want something a bit firmer, the sinker works. But to reiterate, I think that curveball is the pitch he should really keep focusing on, which I know was part of the focus for him to get that pitch going a bit more. And I want to see him throw it a bit more just to mix in that third speed. It's 80 miles per hour, just totally different. Everything else is in the upper 80s or low to mid 90s, just changing into that third speed would be unreal. We'll see how he decides to continue to use his arsenal as the year goes on. It's not like he's struggling at all um, because of the fact that the fastball changeup combination is so elite and he's able to locate so well and the sinker he mixes in well enough without leaning on it heavily because he only throws it to righties and he only throws it about 16% of the time. So I like everything we've seen from him. I think the fact that the fastball and changeup so far, I guess, you know, hitters are so far this season, one for 22 against that combination of pitches, which he throws more than 60% of the time. I mean, that's great stuff. And I'm just so excited to see what Pablo is going to continue to do this year. So far, again, small sample size, it'll all even out, but he's been getting more ground balls than ever, which I think is a testament to the fact that he's locating really well. So all good stuff from Pablo. Frankly, the Marlins 1-2 combination at the top of their rotation is Phenomenal. It's it's right up there with with a lot of rotations in the game. I'm not going to compare it to you know some of the most elite rotations, but these guys are also still really young and they're going to get better and better. Like Pablo Lopez is only 25, and for context, like think about that. Trevor Rogers is 23 years old. Like there's still going to be more improvement from Pablo Lopez as we continue to see it, especially with how much of a student of the game he is. So I love the one-two combo at the top. Could you imagine having Sixto right now as technically like your number three starter? I mean, that's just insane. So I'm hoping that he will be back soon, and that's a story to follow. And I think it's going to be a really good rotation regardless. Trevor Rogers settled in and I think showed a lot after being incredibly jittery in the first inning and then settling in and turning in still a decent start. I think that was very telling of the fact that Trevor Rogers has what it takes between the ears and that he's able to settle in even when he's a little bit off to a rocky start and to have that guy as your number four in your rotation another young player that's going to get better and better uh, that's just insane so you can dream on this rotation big time and I always say this I mean we learned this the hard way right like it's harder to build your pitching out than to build a lineup 
I know that doesn't seem like the case right now because this Marlins lineup is anemic, but now that the Marlins have money, and I know you don't want to hear about the future, and that's not something I'm going to you know just start harping about the future already, but I do really believe that it is still a reason to be incredibly optimistic for the future because the pitching is has come together so well, and as long as everybody can stay healthy, as long as Sixto can get back, Edwards knocking on the door, I've heard really good things on Max Meyer, by the way, so far in the, you know, whatever's going on in I guess minor league spring training so far, the changeup reportedly looks really good. And if Max Meyer's changeup looks really good, forget it. Forget it. This guy's going to be ready to go in like a year. So this rotation is going to come together really well. And we're going to get to see an audition now from Nick Neidert, which I will get to now next on the other side of the break. Quickly, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by none other than our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar. They've got all kinds of flavors. They are low in fat, low in sugar, low in carbs, high in protein. As I always say, what else could you want in a protein bar? I eat it and I don't feel terrible. Uh, that's a good start because for the, most of my life, protein bars never made me feel good. And uh, Built Bar definitely is a bit different. And they've got plenty of great flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream. You got lemon almond cheesecake. And like 14 others, one of uh, my favorite listeners of this podcast, Hunter, admitted recently that he's addicted to Built Bars. So uh, be careful. You might get addicted, but they're really good. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com for 15% off your next order for the best tasting protein bars in the game. So speaking of the game, the Marlins have won in about 30 minutes now. And let's have some fun, right? I mean, I know the offense is struggling. No Garrett Cooper in the lineup again today. And I guess the Marlins want to see what they have with uh, Adam Duvall and get him some more at-bats. And, I mean, Dickerson had two hits yesterday, so you got to keep him in the lineup here. And after a tough ball game from Garrett Cooper, which I think was a tough ball game from everybody yesterday, I get it. But it's also incredibly frustrating when you have a struggling offense and then arguably your best hitter is not playing every single day. And especially in the lineup of the first division game you have here against the Mets. And this is a really important series for the Marlins. I I just, you know, there's no way you can say like, oh, it's must win and they really need to get going here or or else they're in big trouble. I mean, you know, the Braves, though, they bounce back, they sweep the doubleheader and now everything changes that quickly. So that's the thing is right now you're in a spot where things change really quickly. So it's a good time to get going, of course, because the worse you start and the more the games start to build up, it's, you know, a few wins here is not going to mean as much. It's going to take more than a few wins. You're going to have to have a good week. You're going to have to have a good two weeks. Uh, Like the 03 Marlins, as everyone's going to probably reference, they were terrible to start the season and they really had to dig themselves out of that hole. You know, you don't want the hole to get too big here. So even if you can just take one of these first two, as I'm assuming today is going to be the one that you really want to get because Jacob deGrom looms on Saturday, then, you know, you're hoping Nick Neidert's going to have a good start. I'm so happy that Nick Neidert, out of this unfortunate situation of health for the Marlins, is going to get an opportunity to audition at the major league level because he had a great audition in spring training. He was so, so good. Now we get to see him in his first career start. I'm interested to see how the velocity maintains throughout the start because the velo was up a tick in spring training. That seemed to help him a lot. He's similar to Pablo in some ways. Doesn't quite grab 
grab the velo that Pablo grabs, but you know, Pablo wasn't always throwing 94 uh, up to 95 miles an hour frequently. Like he was more in the low 90s earlier too. So I'm not going to give up on Neidert being able to run it up a bit more though. Pablo has a very low key, tall and bigger physique than some may think. I mean, the guy's six foot five. He's one of the more anonymous six, five guys. I think you'll see. I don't know what it is about Pablo, but I remember the first time I, I realized that he, he was that tall when I was covering the game and I uh, see him in the clubhouse. I was like, wait, what? Is this guy on stilts right now? I don't know what it is. I mean, when he's on the mound, at least to me, he just never looked that tall. But Neidert, the thing that he has going for him is similar to Pablo in the respect that fastball changeup tunnels it well, and he's really deceptive. And that's what you'll see today. I mean, I'm sure most of the people that are listening right now have seen Nick Neidert pitch, but you probably haven't watched him with like a fine tooth comb because in spring training, None of the games were televised and you were watching from like a, or a few of the games were televised, but you were watching from like a GoPro when they weren't. Um, that was like, you know, in the upper deck essentially. So it's not like you're going to be able to see Nick Neidert via the GoPro and be like, wow, he's hiding the ball well. So now it's a really good opportunity on Bally Sports Florida to be able to see, you know, how Nick Neidert is able to hide the ball well, how his mechanics actually help everything play up for him with his stuff. And frankly, I mean, this is a tough lineup to start your career against. Taiwan Walker has looked pretty solid uh, at times, you know, last year, and he looked pretty good in spring training. And while he's not Jacob deGrom, he's not a guy that you're just going to be able to tee off on uh, like I thought the Marlins would be able to with like Ponce de Leon and, and Gantt. So the Marlins have their work cut out for them again today. And the weird thing, the way baseball is, is maybe they'll see Jacob deGrom on Saturday and hit. Like, just baseball's weird like that. And when you think they're going to do well, they don't. And then when you think they're not going to do well, they end up doing well. So we'll see how it all goes. I'm very excited for these next two starts because at the very least, you know, if the Marlins are going to struggle, at least enjoy, you know, watching the guys that are a big part of the future. You got Neidert today. You got Rodgers on Saturday. And then we'll see who goes Sunday as that hasn't necessarily been announced yet. It's going to be Alcantara on Monday and Lopez on Tuesday, uh, as we expect right now. And that would be against the Braves. So you have a very big stretch here for the Marlins. Again, I'm not going to say it's like must win, do or die or whatever it may be. But, you know, you got seven division games after getting off to a very bad start where you are one and five. And honestly, just things can get really ugly really quick here for this team. You could blink and drop five of the seven games in this, uh, you know, road trip between New York and Atlanta. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to have to do math in my head real quick right now, but that would be two wins. You'd have three wins. You'd be three and 10. You'd be three and 10 that quickly. And assuming, you know, you're you're dropping those games to division rivals, Atlanta starts to separate themselves from you after they already are starting to after the sweep of the doubleheader for them over the Phillies. And all of a sudden you're, you're alone in the basement. So that's not, you know, the end of the season. Again, if you're three and 10, it's far from the end of the season. The athletics, although I think the athletics are not good this year at all, they are one and six, one and seven. Uh, so, you know, there, there's definitely both sides of the coin here, right? Like you should be concerned a little bit because your team is one and five and their offense has looked incredibly meager. But at the same time, it's like, okay, we're not even like 3% into the season. That being said too, it's also worth noting that um, a lot of teams in the bigs right now are not hitting well. If we look at just pure batting average, the Marlins are far from the bottom of the league. They're actually closer to the middle of the pack in batting average. We're seeing the big issues with the ball not carrying 
And that's something I'm going to get to also because apparently Boog Shambi said that the Marlins are one of the teams using a humidor, which blows my mind because the Marlins don't need that, especially when the stadium is open. Um, I think South Florida is humid enough. The wind tends to swirl. I think, honestly, you should leave the roof open when you can and close those damn panels because the panels serve as like wind tunnels to just knock the ball down uh, from the outfield. Still, it's not like the other teams have had much issue going yard at Marlins Park because uh, there's been a lot of home runs surrendered at the Marlins' expense, especially the bullpen. Dylan Carlson going yard twice. Yachty hit a nuke. And then the Rays, they hit quite a few home runs. Joey Wendell and Austin Meadows twice and Manny Margot. Like, all these guys wouldn't yard without problem against the Marlins. I would actually argue that it's very likely that Lone Depot Park is among the leaders in stadium so far this year in home runs allowed, which is the ironic thing. But the Marlins are squaring up some baseballs here and they just die. And it's just weird because there's a lot of balls that the Marlins have, have connected with and you're like, okay, that's got a shot and then nope. But then the other teams seem to have no issue. And I've seen Craig Mish kind of joke about it. Like it's only dying when the Marlins are hitting. And part of that is is definitely a performance thing that the Marlins are just not performing well. But there has been a little bit of a bizarre aspect to it too, where there's been some balls that have been run into and you're just like, that that's dying like that. And then Dylan Carlson smashes one, who's also very, very, very good. But Dylan Carlson smashes one and it just does not stop carrying. And same with Meadows and same with Joey Wendell. That was a shot. That was a rocket. So I just think that's very unique. However, as I am saying this, I have a conspiracy theory that could explain some of this. The Marlins are incredibly right-handed heavy in their lineup. And most of the guys that are running into baseballs are running into them into center field or left field. Whereas a lot of the home runs that have been surrendered by the Marlins were two lefties. You look at Austin Meadows. Both of those bombs were from the left side for him. You look at Joey Wendell left-handed hitter. Dylan Carlson, switch hitter, but both of his bombs were from the left side. The only home runs from the right side were, uh, as if I can remember off my top of my head, is Yadi Molina, who just hit a, a rocket. And, you know, there's going to be balls that just get out like that. And then also uh, Manny Margot, who does not hit a ton of home runs, but he hits line drives. And those are going to cut through the air too. So that might be something. That might be something. I might have to start just studying aerodynamics. And, you know, we might need to go to NASA. But I have this fear that I'm going to bring on some scientist that's an expert in aerodynamics and I'm going to ask him to watch the game and tell me like what what were your takeaways from this game at Lone, Lone Depot Park like why wasn't the ball flying out to left and he's just going to say I, I don't know much about baseball but uh it just seems like the guys on the Marlins aren't hitting it as hard and it's just going to be like oh yep well that's that so we'll see I am actually not ruling out just reaching out to a scientist and being like can you figure this out why is the ball not moving into left field should they close the panels um, maybe the Marlins should consider that as well. You know, start to look at how the panels affect things. You have a lot of right-handed hitters. A lot. You really don't have any left-handed hitters outside of Jazz Chisholm and Corey Dickerson. And God forbid Corey Dickerson puts a charge into a baseball. So that's not really a thing. So when we're looking at it, I mean, Corey Dickerson's been going oppo more than he's been pulling balls so far this year. So you technically have like one lefty and he hasn't been in the lineup every single day in Jazz Chisholm. So, you know, you're going to be adversely affected by the ball not carrying out to left. I'm not making an excuse for this team because it's really not the reason for the Marlins to go three for 29 in their last ball game against the Cardinals. 
but I hate that this is even something we have to like talk about. It's just kind of absurd. And also another little like case study sort of takeaway thing too is I clowned Corey Dickerson for the way he played that ball in foul territory when he was playing left field. It also seemed like he was very deceived by the fact that the ball just kept getting knocked down by the wind and it just played him very or he played it very strangely. So that also tells me that the ball is is carrying kind of strange. So I'm I'm looking forward to the homestand. Marlins come back. We'll see how the ball carries when the roof is closed and when it's not and whether they decide to just close the panels. I don't really understand why you don't just close the panels. The panels don't really make that much of a difference experience-wise. Like, I don't really notice if the panels are open or closed. They're clear. Who cares? They're clear. Just open the roof. The roof is is really nice when it's open. I, I really like the stadium open. I think everybody does. But the panels, I mean, that's the clear catalyst here, I think, of serving as a wind tunnel of misery to just hurt this Marlins offense that is already pretty anemic. And that will be an interesting follow as the season goes on. But as we get into the dog days of the summer, I doubt the stadium will be open very often anyways, but I honestly hate when the stadium is closed compared to open just because it feels so much more like a ballpark when it's open, even if it's just the roof. One more thing on that topic though, if the Marlins humidor thing is is correct, that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why are you doing that? Like for what reason are you using a humidor in Florida? Like the, the, humid capital of the world and also in a cavernous ballpark that already is going to be working in your pitcher's favor. What what are you doing if that's the case? And I, I'm not going to say like guilty until proven innocent here, but if Boog Shambi says it and if, uh, you know, Craig Mish doesn't refute it, then I'm going to kind of say, okay, this is interesting. It was also noted that teams in baseball were, they said, I think it was the report was five teams going into this year were going to experiment with the humidor and they didn't say which teams, but also remember that baseball was trying to deaden the baseball a little bit as well. So you have the stadium open, you have a wind tunnel coming in from left field, you have a mediocre offense, and then the balls are already deadened a little bit. And you say, you know what? Why don't we just use a humidor too? Let's just basically play with socks instead of baseballs. They're basically hitting socks. Still, the other teams don't seem to have too much of an issue with it. So that's the the one thing is I think it's a little bit of an excuse. But regardless, if the humidor thing is true, regardless of what the other teams are doing, regardless of what the numbers are showing, what are you doing? Why? Why? You want people in the seats, right? You think people are showing up? I mean, I love it. I love the pitcher's tools, but your pitchers are good already. You think people are showing up and saying, oh, I'm hoping for a one nothing game today. I think it's pretty clear how offense rules the world in today's game. What are you doing? Also, clearly, you know, winning isn't the like end all be all this year. As we saw made evident by the offseason, the Marlins are still trying to get back to where they were last year. And, you know, there's still a pipe dream there that they can be a team that flirts with a postseason spot. I still think they're going to be more competitive than people are making them out to be, especially after this slow start. How about we facilitate some offense and just worry about providing an entertaining product to get fans in the ballpark? Because the atmosphere was really good through the first few ball games, and I hope it's going to remain that way and fans will stick around. It'll be very dependent on this uh, road trip here. I think it's going to be huge to see how the team performs on this road trip. I'm going to have a few more takeaways from the Marlins in this last series and how it can roll over into this Mets series and then eventually the Braves. And I'll talk about that in a moment. 
Quickly, one last message from our sponsor, betonline.ag. We've got baseball season in full force, NBA, NHL also well underway and on their way to the playoffs. And there's no better or more trusted place to wager your bets online than betonline.ag. And best of all, they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. They even cover awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and if you use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDON, one word LOCKEDON, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So let's kind of wrap up here with the state of the bullpen because that was something that was interesting in the last couple ball games, and then how it rolls into this next series. Zach Pop gave up that grand slam. You know, he's a young kid. He's a Rule 5 guy. He's going to run into some bad, you know, games here and there. He walked a couple and then left one pitch over the middle, and Dylan Carlson just continued to do what Dylan Carlson's been doing, uh, not only to the Marlins, but just so far this season and in the spring, and it's rake and hit bombs. And Dylan Carlson's one of my favorites for Rookie of the Year. I highlighted him on Locked On MLB Prospects as just other than Brian Hayes, one of the easy favorites because I think he's just going to hit, 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 and the speed plays as well, and he's just a really interesting, interesting prospect as a switch hitter with good speed playing center field, and the hit tool is going to be the question, can he hit frequently enough, but I think he will as he's a really good student of the game, and he makes the adjustments he needs to make. The average is not quite there yet, but he's hitting for power, and he's put some good at-bats together. He's going to be fine, but Jazz Chisholm too. Uh, Chisholm is a great dark horse for Rookie of the Year as well, and we've seen that. Seems like he gets on base every single ball game, even in the 0 for 3 yesterday. He gets on base with a walk, and he's able to just impact the game in different ways. And so, you know, Jazz Chisholm is a all of a sudden looking like a, a great option for Rookie of the Year. We'll just see how he continues to hit as the season goes on. And I'm very eager to see the Chisholm versus DeGrom matchup and just see how Jazz handles that as we see him, you know, take on some of the more premier righties and how he's able to perform against those guys. Dylan Floro continues to just, you know, be incredibly impressive. And he looks like one of the more reliable arms in this bullpen. Um, you know, Adam Simber, I still, I, I've got my reservations on that guy. He gave up a run in the last outing. I'm not going to, you know, say he's donezo yet, but I'm not, you know, overly pumped on Adam Simber. That roster spot may end up being used for somebody else. And as I mentioned, Pop, a little bit of a rocky outing last time. I still think he's going to be good overall. He's going to turn in a lot of like strike out the side type of outings, and he's going to run into trouble from time to time. And that's what you deal with with rookies, and that's what you deal with with Rule 5 draft picks. So for now, you know, you're going to try to put him in more favorable situations, but I still stand by the fact that I think by the end of the year, you're going to be able to hope for him to be kind of that cleanup crew in tough situations where you really, really need a strikeout, and he's going to be able to get that for you. And he's got probably the best swing and miss stuff are up there with some of the best swing and miss stuff in this Marlins bullpen and that's going to be a big asset for them he just needs to build the confidence he needs to get some more experience under his belt and more comfortable with his stuff and that'll come That'll all come. The only question is going to be the command. You know, you can't walk two guys in the inning and expect to get out of it every single time. And that's where he's going to, you know, be challenged here and there. Uh, Yimmy Garcia had a good inning in the second game of the series. He has looked pretty strong. Uh, Blyer is going to be Blyer. He did give up that solo shot to, I'm trying to remember, I think that was 
freaking Dylan Carlson. So I guess one of his home runs was from the right side. And that's the thing, too. Carlson didn't have a problem putting it out in left field. So, you know, that's a whole thing that is really confusing about the entire situation here with uh, the ball not carrying. The other really important thing and an important takeaway here for the Marlins is the fact that they have been, you know, I mean, if you're not hitting period, you're, you're going to struggle to uh, hit with guys in scoring position because you're not hitting period. But they go one for 13 in game two of that series uh, with runners in scoring position. And then they were 0 for 5 in game 3 with runners in scoring position leaving 7 on base as well. So just a struggle against the Cardinals. Still plenty of time to work things out. I still believe in the bullpen overall. And again, it's also really important to note, and any big league veteran will mention this too, is it takes a manager a month really to be able to feel out how to use the bullpen and who they have where, especially for the Marlins is a majority of the bullpen is new guys. So Mattingly has a lot to learn on the fly about how to utilize the bullpen, but I think he's starting to realize that like Floro's a guy he can lean on more. Pop is somebody that he's going to need to feel out a bit more. Curtis, we need to see still a couple more outings before we see you know how he is looking, but he's been giving up a little bit of contact, and it just seems like anybody that the Rays trade to the Marlins is like risky and volatile. And I just again, I just think trading with the Rays is a nightmare and scary. Uh, but I still think Curtis is a good piece, and he should be fine. But you know, we'll see how Curtis is utilized as he continues to feel things out and as you know Don Mattingly continues to feel him out and see where or what exactly he has with James Curtis but Floro's been incredibly reliable I think Bass we haven't had a chance to see him in a save opportunity but I think Bass is going to be fine and there's some good pieces in this pen I think overall they'll, they'll be fine so you know the real question is some of those middle relief guys and then the offense and the offense is going to be the question all year long and it's really a lot of it lays on the shoulders of Corey Dickerson, who needs to bounce back this year, and Adam Duvall. I mean, Duvall was third in the NL in home runs last year. He had 16 home runs last year in not a lot of games. I don't know exactly how many games he played. It wasn't a lot. It was less than 60. can promise you that. So, you know, that is huge. The Marlins really need that. Even if he hits 230, if he's hitting bombs, that helps the offense immensely, immensely. And what's wild also is the fact that the Marlins' uh, middle of the lineup actually is putting up pretty decent numbers. Marte has an 886 OPS. Aguilar, 866 OPS. Cooper, though he's hitting just 200, 835 OPS. I know it's a small sample size, but those guys are hitting. Like, those guys are putting up numbers. I mean, Marte's hitting like 348 right now. So it's just really frustrating. Aguilar is hitting 353. You know, why can't anybody else around them hit at all? I mean, it's been a huge struggle for Duvall so far. Dickerson might be coming around. So there's some really, really big aspects there to this lineup is just the pieces around. And, you know, we got to be honest here. Brian Anderson has not looked good whatsoever to start this season. He's hitting just a buck 76, a sub 500 OPS to start the year. So, I mean, that's something that the Marlins are feeling big time too, because a lot of the production from this lineup is going to have to come from Brian Anderson as well. I mean, these guys all have to perform because there's not going to be a single superstar, obviously, in this lineup, and everybody has to carry their weight. There's not going to be one dude that puts a team on, on his back. I think you can rely on Aguilar and Marte to be pretty darn consistent, but outside of those two, and Cooper, you know, if he's healthy and playing enough, the rest of the lineup, you can't really say, okay, that guy's going to be consistent and solid and, you know, we'll be able to contribute on a pretty consistent basis. Like, you're hoping that Dickerson can be that guy this year, but he wasn't consistent last year. Brian Anderson shows flashes of being a, an impact bat, 
but is not consistent to say the least. Jazz Chisholm, you know, we're, we're still seeing what the Marlins have exactly with him, and he's looked really great, but consistent would not be the word I would use to describe Jazz Chisholm at this point as a rookie. And then, you know, you look at the catching position and forget it. And then, you know, there's just a lot of variables here, and everybody needs to at least carry their own weight to a degree. Last thing I'll wrap up with here is it's been really tough watching Lewis Brinson play. Uh, and I'm going to be honest, like that's just the best way to put it. It's been tough to watch Lewis Brinson play baseball uh, for the Marlins for a while now, but especially this year, it's, it's just not looked any better for him. Again, I'm not trying to make like knee jerk reactions. And, you know, there's just two guys, though, that look exactly the same as they have looked. And it's Brinson and it's Alfaro. And I think for the Marlins at this point, you need as much offensive depth as you can get. You have the defensive uh, help now with an Adam Duvall, who's a much better defender than the Marlins have had in the outfield, you know, with Cooper at times or, you know, with Dickerson. And so you have that good defensive um, other outfielder that you add to the mix, and that offsets the need a little bit for a Lewis Brinson. You also have Bagnera Sierra, who can serve that same role and is going to make a lot more contact. Doesn't offer as much power, but you have to hit the ball to hit for power, and Brinson's not hitting the ball. And I'm just wondering how much time is left on Brinson's career as a Marlin. He does have one more option, but he seems like a change of scenery candidate. And that roster spot might be better used for somebody else. Who exactly? That's something I'll save maybe for the next podcast. Uh, But the Marlins could use some offensive depth here where if some guys are really struggling, you can plug somebody in kind of like a John Birdie type of player and be a spark plug. And I think that, you know, you can't really look at Brinson and say, oh, this guy, you know, he can ignite the offense and plug him in for some spot starts and he can make a difference. I think that he's, you know, a gaping hole when you plug him into the offense, unfortunately, even against lefties. But, you know, we'll have to see a little bit more. That's the only hope here is that he's some sort of a platoon guy as we saw him start to be last year. But, you know, I just don't know about that for this role for him at this point in his career, especially as the Marlins are going to try to figure out how to platoon Dickerson, uh, Duvall, Aguilar, and Cooper. It just doesn't seem like there's a role really there for Lewis Brinson, and I'm sure there's a team that'll take a chance on him at this point. And, you know, the Marlins might just need to turn the page there and start to focus on some of the prospects that are higher up, like Amante Harrison, who could pretty much serve the role that Brinson is serving right now with a little bit more offensive upside at this point because he hasn't had as much prolonged struggle at the major league level and still has a little bit more time to work things out. That's what I wanted to wrap up with there. Unfortunately, a little bit of a negative to wrap up with, but you know, just something that I felt like I had to hit on as a point. Uh, The Marlins game's underway. Looking forward to sharing my thoughts on Nick Neidert. I will be watching just about every pitch he throws and uh, taking notes. And um, I might even do a live uh, Twitter video, you know, recap to talk about some of the takeaways from this ball game. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to those who take the time to leave reviews as they help me immensely. And be sure to subscribe so you can keep up with every episode that is released. Because I will admit I'm a bit inconsistent with the times that I put these episodes out. So... If you do want to keep up with each and every episode right when they come out, definitely subscribe, and uh, I will do my part to be more consistent on the time of the release and all of that good stuff. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you after the ballgame today and then on this podcast tomorrow.